Welcome to Philanthropy Today, a podcast about the Greater Manhattan Community Foundation. Together, we'll learn about the goals of the GMCF and the work of its staff, board members, and trustees. You'll hear about the GMCF's affiliate partners throughout North Central Kansas, and we'll also explore the efforts of area nonprofit agencies, their staff, and volunteers. Now, here's your host of Philanthropy Today, Dave Lewis. On Philanthropy Today, we have a unique opportunity to get to know a couple of uh, Manhattan natives whose names, last names, are very well known around the area. And uh, we're going to continue the legacy of their parents as we talk about the Butler Family Foundation today with Mark and Brenda Butler, uh, kids of Bernie and Sherry Butler. Hello. Hi. Thanks for being here. We're very happy to be here. Brenda, I'm going to start with you. Give me a little bit of background on you. Well, um, I grew up here in Manhattan Mm -hmm. and uh, graduated from Manhattan High, um, went to the other Kansas school, um, which I'm very proud of. (laughs) It's not always a popular answer. Um, But after I graduated from school, um, I had an art degree and um, art history degree. I thought I wanted to go into museum work. Mm -hmm. Um, Went up to Minneapolis, uh, worked in a museum for quite a while, and then realized I wanted to become a teacher. So, uh, I ended up going to University of Minnesota, getting my teaching license, and um, taught art for over 20 years in the Minneapolis area, and um, still do some work with a, an art college um, up in Minneapolis. Well, welcome back. Yeah, to so that's, that's kind of what I've been up to since I left in 1988. <laughs> All right. Mark, your turn. Well, I too was born in Manhattan, uh, where I met Brenda, my sister. <laughs> And I, uh, I did the buffet style of Kansas uh, college education. I started at KU and I ended at K-State. So maybe I'm the victor of this for the Manhattan audience. And then I moved to Chicago, got into publishing. I worked on the Dummies books back when those were really a really? big phenomenon. I have several of those. Okay. Well, I worked on the, the finance side. So personal finance for Dummies, taxes for Dummies. That was a very fun book to work on every year. Uh-huh. And then I moved to Seattle about 20 years ago, where I continued to work in publishing, but also in content development and content strategy. So I work with writers and other creative people and help get their ideas onto paper and into little digital screens everywhere. Yeah. It's amazing how much there's been a transition with technology and paper. It's just the platform, though. Isn't if you, it? If you don't have a good idea, nobody cares. Yeah. <laughs> Brenda, tell me about your parents. Well, uh, Bernie Butler and Sherry Butler are our parents. Um, our dad um, is, I think, best known in this community as uh, the owner of the Pizza Huts uh, in Manhattan area and uh, throughout the nation. Through, throughout the nation, North Carolina, we we ended up not having to move to North Carolina as kids. Uh, got to stay here, so that was really good. He had a franchise there. Um, he um, also, I think, is really well known in Aggieville as the the former Grand Marshal of the St. Patrick's mm-hmm. Day Parade. The real St. Patrick's the Day Parade. The real yes. St. Patrick. Not well, there's fake not a Patty's. fake Patty's Parade. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> At least not an organized one. There's a lot of people walking uh, around. It may happen. But it may. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and our mom uh, was a nurse. She worked at St. Mary's Hospital, um, which is, uh, I think, the Lafayette Medical Center yeah, now, right, uh-huh, for, for the yeah. university. Yeah, so our parents uh, moved here from Omaha when they were still pups and had us, and we uh, 
what else is there to say? I Well, there's a lot of contributions that yeah. the Butler family has made. Yeah. And now that legacy continues with the Butler Family Foundation. That's right. And Mark, give us a background on your foundation and how that has developed uh, since Bernie's passing. Well, we started it, ironically, we realized today is the ninth anniversary of the first time we actually did something. Uh, so it's March 22nd. Okay. And this was uh, it, not necessarily the happiest anniversary. There was a, a tragic mudslide in Washington State nine years ago in Oso, Washington, wiped out half of the city, um, killed a number of people, um, and certainly left a lot of people uh, in hard times. And my dad had started setting money aside for a charity. It was in a donor-advised fund at first. And I, I called my dad and I said, we have to do something. Turn on your TV. He saw what I was seeing. He said, we have to do something. And so we made a small donation, but that got us started off about nine years ago to help rebuild the communities of Oso and Arlington and Darrington, Washington. And I think things are better uh, now, but we tried to find ways to support the community, not just bottles of water and blankets, but how do we help this community rebuild? And that really helped frame my thinking in terms of, well, what do we want to do? There's money that's already set aside. I think we can find more money to put into the kitty how do we want to do this? How do we want to approach that? And Brenda and I have worked together with the whole family to try to shape a philosophy on how to go about that. Now, when you talk about family, you have foundations in Manhattan, as you mentioned, Seattle, the work you've done there, and Brenda, in your home of Minneapolis. Mm -hmm. uh, some experiences that you've had in Minneapolis. Uh, I think when, well, I, I, kind of going back to kind of that start, we... Um, I think we were raised to give back to community, um, kind of with a mindset of we always were asked to carve out part of our allowance for charity. Um, we were encouraged in high school to join clubs, to be parts of, you know, student government or different organizations like that. And that followed through for us, like in college and post-college. Uh, my experience as a teacher is, uh, though it's a paid position, there's a lot of volunteerism that goes along with that. I'm and from a family of teachers, I fully get yeah, that. Yeah, and I think once you become a parent, um, we, we kind of laughed about this the other night. Like, there are uh, teams to coach, there are booster clubs to be uh, started and run, there are a lot of uh, fundraisers that you get into, and for me, I think it came naturally to just become a part of that. And I, I do think some of that is watching my mom be such a great volunteer um, in her church, in the hospital, and um, in the community. She's long been um, a part of the genealogical library and volunteers as a librarian there, I think, going on. 40 years, maybe. No um, and, yeah, I, I, don't quote me on that. But uh, honestly, like it's been a part of our, our family fiber. And I think that's why it, it feels natural. And it feels um, like it felt like an easy thing to do to really start this family foundation. Well, and I know that uh, this, fa this uh, uh, community has been very grateful and to, to the Butler family um, over the years, you know, and so many different contributions. And, and, and I think that, you know, because I've been associated with so many Aggieville events, and, and I've seen your dad had a great friendship with him, you know, over the years. And uh, it's just, you know, he, he, he was just larger than life. And what a great way for, for you and your family to be able to continue 
uh, living that uh, legacy of generosity. Mark, what do you think makes your family found your family foundation different than others? I don't know how to answer that question exactly. We're because we're very similar to other foundations too, in that we have a desire to help communities. One of the things that I think does make us a little bit different uh, than than some is that we do have a focus on sustainability and not just in the ecological sense of sustainable, although we love to recycle, don't get get us wrong, but we, we were describing this earlier today, the simple way to talk about a sustainable investment via a nonprofit is money with legs. If you donate $10 to an organization and that they can immediately put that into use and some of that money comes back into the organization, well, then it's $11, then it's $12. But you're also enlightening a community or maybe giving them a leg up on how to start a business or something like that. And then that also gives back. So when we make a gift, one of the first things that Brenda and I ask ourselves is, is this a sustainable investment? Can Is this for a one-time thing, or is this something that can be kind of a renewable resource? And that's what we get the most excited about. If we can give money to an organization and then see that money almost double over time because of the way that nonprofit is choosing to use that gift. That's really exciting. Have you considered doing a Foundations for Dummies book? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like you could write it. I think the dummy ship might have sailed, <laughs> but um, but we'll, we'll see if we can figure out some other ways to get the word out to folks. Yeah. I have an answer to that as well, just another facet, um, that we were kind of under the radar. We actually were asked today if uh, we would consider putting together a website to share our story and to kind of give a little, shed a little light on our mission and our values that we've developed as, as a whole family, our spouses, our kids. Um, we, we have one, one, Mark's son is still in uh, middle school. My kids are all um, young adults now. Um, so we've kind of put our heads together as a family to do this, but we've done it very quietly. And so um, our approach has been as more of a closed uh, foundation where we're reaching out to organizations, we're surprising them with checks, we're calling them, kind of doing the cold calling and saying, hey, uh, we've heard about you and we think you're doing great work and we love what you do for the community and we would like to to write you a check. And um, so I think that makes us unique, uh, both being small, but also being um, a little bit under the radar or invisible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Well, the, there, there's so many different dynamics to, to each foundation. And, uh, you know, that's why I asked that question. It's just, you know, it, a little bit of a background here, um, I think, uh, can speak volumes to others about, you know, you don't have to have a certain format for establishing your foundation mm-hmm. or your giving. Obviously, there are regulations, there's financial things, etc. But there's um, uh, just a lot of different aspects, and so I like to know, you know, that little tidbit about, you know, what may be uh, unique about you as opposed to other foundations. Yeah, um, I think one one uh, quote comes to mind, and we after our dad died, we talked a lot about what happens to our family next. You know, what what kind of legacy 
um, do we want to honor our dad and eventually our mom with? And um, we we talked a little bit about a quote from Senator uh, Minnesota Senator Paul Wellstone um, mm. that is, we all do better when we all do better. And I would say that that has been a little bit of a guiding force in our thinking um, that we want our communities to thrive, um, all three places where we um, have lived in the past and live now, um, Manhattan, Minneapolis, and Seattle. And we want to see all of the community um, prosper and grow and, um, and, and really thrive. And that is something that we get to have a part in. Um, by um, by our, the philanthropy of this uh, foundation. Yeah, I think to put it in Bernie terms, if you make a bigger pizza, everybody can have a slice. <laughs> that sounds like Bernie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You carried over a little bit of an additional Bernieisms through the night. <laughs> there you go. Through your day. There you go. Mark, tell us about the process about uh, determining how your family makes some of these decisions uh, with regards to to contributions that you make. The key thing for us is that we sat down to create a mission statement for our foundation before we did anything else. And I'll just read the mission to you. Our foundation is dedicated to promoting wellness, education, innovation, and creativity in our three communities of Manhattan, Seattle, and Minneapolis. Pretty basic. Yeah. But we look at that, we read that before any board meeting that we have as well, just to center everyone why are we here? What are we focusing on? And when we look at, at those, really those four principles of wellness, education, innovation, creativity, we say, well, what, what does that mean? Where does that, where does that take us? Does this organization that we're curious about or interested in or dazzled by, does that fit in? And that really has made the decision-making process a lot easier because we are starting from a, a unified starting line and we see where we want to go. Now, many, many directions to go from those four words. That's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a lot loaded into those four words. And so that it does not restrict us, but it does help us focus. Brendan, let's talk about some of the contributions that you have made. And, and every contribution has its own sense of worth. And do you have some examples of some things that have been impactful on you in being able to help others? Yes. Uh, in Minneapolis, we have a pretty unique, uh, I would call it a, a festival of sorts um, that's called Open Streets. And it's been around for just shy of a decade. And it is an opportunity for um, for long stretches of major thoroughfares in the city um, to be closed to all car traffic. And for the afternoon that um, the open street um, is in effect, there are musicians and there are theater, um, little skits theater um, might happen. There are food trucks. There are people walking. There are people riding their bikes. There are kids cartwheeling down the middle of the streets. There might be a BMX exhibition in the middle of one intersection. Um, it is such a cool community building event where, it, you know, you can take a Sunday afternoon in the summer and walk uh, 20 or 30 city blocks without having to pause for cars 
And it's just a mass of all the people from the neighborhood and surrounding neighborhoods that come and take part. And it's grown from just being one street for, uh, the first year um, to, I believe this summer, they're, they're back to about seven. They're kind of trying to find the sweet spot where they can accommodate. Um, but it happens in all parts of the city. So it's not just... Um, it's not just one section of the city where, you know, like it's the most optimal because of the businesses that are already along that route. Um, it really encapsulates all the different, uh, the diversity of the people that live in the city, um, the age um, age differences, um, the, you know, even down to kind of the creative um, pursuits that are happening um, on the street at that moment. And we... Uh, our family has often gone down and walked the streets and goofed around on those Sunday afternoons, but um, I realized after we started this family foundation that that was something that we um, could start to support financially, and um, it's it does give me warm fuzzies to go down and know that, that we've helped that um, grow and helped that be a part of the city of Minneapolis's culture and kind of a... Uh, an event that that is a culture bearer event for for the whole city. So it sounds like something your dad would really appreciate. He probably would have loved it. You know, it's a, <laughs> you know kind of a you know on a smaller scale, a lot of things that are happening on St. Patrick's Day in Aggieville and yeah. all kinds of other events. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's a cool example of what we've been able to do with not a huge amount of money every year, but the. Um, but the amount of money that we give really helps make that event happen. Mm -hmm. So. Mark, any stories from Seattle? Well, one that I'm pretty confident that Bernie would love is a, a group called Ventures Northwest. I'm going to tell you the website because it's not uh, super intuitive. It's venturesnonprofit.org. Ventures Northwest is a, a, a nonprofit that is dedicated to supporting small businesses and entrepreneurs and startups with a special emphasis on entrepreneurs of color and women entrepreneurs. But it's, it is open to, to everyone. And they provide education for people that want to start a business but may have no practical knowledge, just the will to make something happen. To You know, the classic from nothing to something story. Um, they also provide micro lending and seed money. And that's one of those things when we were talking earlier about sustainability. Those micro loans of maybe $500 to $5,000 that can help a business literally come to life their repayment rates like 90 percent those loans get repaid and that all goes back in the kitty but that makes me want to put more into that kitty to, to help it grow we are sponsors of the innoventures pitch competition and there are a couple of dozen entrepreneurs that are present their business they present their case study or not their case study they present their business plan on what they want to do to launch their business. And then the the winner gets a big chunk of cash, about $5,000, and a lot, of, a lot of supporting materials to help their business launch. We went, I went to a, one of these InnoVentures pitch meetings, and somebody from ventures asked me what I thought about it. I said, well, the only problem I have with this is that everybody was really good. So there's one winner, but the six finalists should all be able to launch a business. And then I walked away from that 
and I came right back and I said, I have an idea. Maybe we can help everybody be a winner. So there's a, obviously the first place prize gets the most, but everybody gets seed money to launch their business. And that's so exciting to see these people that have a dream and that dream becomes fulfilled as, as a result through their hard work, but also through our gift as well. Brenda, how about Manhattan? Manhattan, uh, we uh, the, we actually kind of talked about this beforehand that we wanted to bring this up. Uh, we were really inspired by um, the Dolly Parton Imagination Library project. Um, that is, it's a national literacy project. It was started by Dolly Parton, of course, um, who uh, decided that um, based on her own experience as a kid with her dad. Um, being illiterate and um, growing up in a in a very rural and very poor community where um, where a lot of folks grew up not learning to read, that that was one of her big missions in life as she gained success. That she wanted to start a a library system where all kids um, from zero to five, five or six, yeah, five, five or five, five or six, mm-hmm. yeah, um, are able to access free books. And so we came to Vern at GMCF and said, "Hey, do we have this here? Where you know what's going on?" He connected us with Tara Clausen at um, the Kansas, the Kanza United Way, and she said, "Well, we used to have it, but it's volunteer based. We haven't been able to sustain it. I think whoever ran it before didn't find someone to help run it again. They ran out of funds." And so we were a little bit stunned by that and said, well, we're going to start it again. We want to, we want to front the money. We want to, how can we help? So we ended up talking to Tara. She got it back on its feet. We provided funds. Um, the Deal Family Foundation also provided funds. And I was just looking up the stats. Um, it seems like in uh, 2022 in the Manhattan area, there were 7,039 eligible kids. And um, the Dolly Parton Imagination Library got 2,046 kids signed up. Um, so awesome. It is really awesome. And um, as it gets broken down from Riley, Potawatomi, Clay, Marshall um, counties, um, the the statistics, um, you know, or the data show that, that you've really got like a quarter to two-thirds of the kids in all of those communities that are participating, the, of the eligible kids. And so we feel like that is a really special thing. We grew up um, with a love of reading. We and Dolly uh, Parton and Dolly Parton. We also Who loved Dolly, love Parton. Dolly Parton or doesn't? Yes, absolutely. Um, so our joy of getting to go to the library and check out books every week, and you know, taking home enormous stacks of books, uh, was you know pretty pretty special in our in our collective memory um, as kids. And we wanted other kids to be able to have that opportunity to to have a lot of books in their lives. So Mark is a publisher. I bet that that uh, is extra special for you too, to, to help youngsters uh, move forward. Absolutely. With but as a, as a reader, it, that's magic. Dave, can we drop an awesome bomb on you? An awesome bomb. <laughs> an awesome bomb. I'm open to it. Okay. <laughs> it's perfectly safe. No, it, no harm will be done. Thank you. Appreciate uh, the precursor there. We had our uh, board meeting today to approve a, a next wave of gifts. We reached our, $2 million mark in terms of money that was given away. And it turns out that the Dolly Parton Imagination Library received our $2 millionth dollar of gifts. Really? And so, is that an awesome bomb or what? <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> we are so excited. But 
the money that we've given, ultimately, when I think about this, it boils down to one kid is getting a book that costs $5. And that book could change that kid's life, right? It does not matter how many zeros are on the gifts. What matters is the importance of the gift and the impact of that gift. And we think about those kids getting a book and... Our kids, the first time we gave them a book for a birthday present or a Christmas present, and their eyes widened, and they flipped through it, and they're like, what is this? This is amazing. If we can do that for as many kids in Riley County and in the region that we can do, that's magic. And that doesn't all of the strategic planning and mission statement doesn't matter if you have room for magic in there. I bet you also made Tara's day, too. I think so. Yes. <laughs> We're adding a little work uh, to her plate, but I think she was, she seemed pretty pumped to do it. And, uh, and like Mark said, it's, uh, it's a part of that community building uh, that, that we really want to see where kids are learning the joy of reading, that, that spark is going to connect them to their parents and to their grandparents or whoever's doing the reading with them. And all of that kind of just, blooms into um, kind of a, a, a wellness, a, a joyful spirit, a, um, kind of a, a moving on to bigger and better things once you um, have that in your life, I think. so. Well, as I made mention before, I was a big fan of your dad and a friend of them, um, of both your parents, and uh, it's, uh, it's wonderful to, to see your efforts uh, through your family foundation, the Butler Family Foundation, that uh, you continue to you know, impact not just our community, but uh, your specific communities where you live as well. And and that's uh, that's something to be very, very proud of. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it is a, it is a pleasure. I When I tell people what we do, I always let them know that I feel like this is this is the, a, a great privilege for, for me and I think for you as Absolutely. well, Mark, um, to be able to spend our, our time and our, our energy um, doing this kind of work. Well, if I can speak on behalf of a grateful community, thank you. You are very welcome. welcome. Keep up with Philanthropy Today by following or subscribing to our podcast on your favorite apps. To learn more about the Greater Manhattan Community Foundation, visit our website at mcfks.org. Philanthropy Today is produced by Ad AdAstraCast. Follow us online at astracast.com.